episode 14 of Role Play Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop role play gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Today's guest is the creator behind the game of Inspirios and Hatchlings Games, Rich Oxenham. He is creating games to promote deaf awareness and help you learn sign language, both BSL and ASL. In our conversation, we went over how the game is going to work and how it will teach you sign language. We also chatted about the Kickstarter process, like how they began the campaign with a budget of only a thousand pounds, but ended up raising a whole lot more and the impact that had on the development of the game. We spoke about working in a community center with teenagers and the effect of playtesting during lockdowns and learned about what's next for Hatchling's games. I'm pretty excited to snag a copy of this game once it's available, which sounds like it should be in June. I think y'all will really enjoy learning about Rich and his projects. Before we jump into today's episode, it is business time. So first up, we just released a new map pack on DM Skilled for Candle Keep Mysteries. Britton went through the whole book and decided on 16 locations that he felt could use a battle map. He spent several weeks preparing them for you, and it's our first publication where the maps are all in full color, not just black and white. So that was pretty exciting for us. You can find it by either going to dmsguild.com and searching for Lighthearted Adventures as the author, or you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash shop to find all of our DMs Guild and drive through publications in one spot. Next up, as a reminder, we do have a Patreon for Lightheart Adventures and Roleplay Grow. You have options on whether you'd like to follow the adventurer track, which will get you maps and adventures, or the merchant track, which gets you some fun bonuses around this podcast, like contributing questions to upcoming guests, a project spotlight on the show, and more. You can also support the show by subscribing, sharing with your friends, and leaving a review. Like I say, every time, reviews are very important for the show to be able to grow. So if you've been hanging out and you like what you're hearing, please drop me a review on your podcast platform of choice. Honestly, the only review I've seen out there on Apple Podcasts so far is from before the show even dropped its first full episode. So I would very much love to hear from y'all and see if we can get that review number up. The affiliate that we're highlighting today is Dice Envy. They have a variety of dice designs and materials that they use throughout their collection. And personally, we have something like five or six sets of our own. Plus, some local friends have picked up a couple sets lately as well. And we really do like all the ones that we've seen. Go to DiceEnvy.com, use code LIGHTHEARTADV at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off your order and help support the show. Okay, that is enough business for one day. So let's go meet Rich. Today, I am joined by Rich, the director of Hatchings Games and developer of indie TTRPGs promoting deaf awareness and sign language. How are you today, Rich? Very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here speaking to you. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about the games that you are developing. But to start things off, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you got into gaming? Yeah, so my name's Rich. I'm uh, 
at Hatchley DM on Twitter. That's where I do most of my uh, social media communication. Um, I've been playing D&D since I was a teenager, really, since the, the early 90s. And uh, I took a long hiatus after I entered into the, the world of adulting uh, to try and find a career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I took a break from it for like, maybe like 12 to 13 years. And then uh, I did a, a degree, an MA degree in creative writing in my local university in, in the UK. And I met loads of people that were getting back into it as a fifth edition launched, basically. Uh, and that's when I started playing uh, role-playing games again, and D&D specifically. From there, it, we moved house to, to the outskirts of the city I, 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 sort of, uh, I was living in during my degree. And um, I approached a community centre, and I wanted to run a role-playing group for uh, children or teenagers. And, uh, and that's what happened. I basically posted, like, the, uh, looking for interest on, on a Facebook page in my, my local hometown and a lot of the parents of teenagers responded really positively and they were like yeah my 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 kids are really into this if it was like an organized group it would be so much better because they haven't got a, D- a regular dm you know and that's essentially how hatchlings games was formed well the hatchlings as it was called then it was the group called the hatchlings um i can go more into it about how the game came about but um that's essentially how the beginnings of uh, hatchlings games was formed that's awesome. So how long ago was that, that you started at the community center? Two and a half years now. Okay. Yeah. Are you currently playing any campaigns yourself outside of that? Yeah. So we play, um, on a Monday, we play Ravenloft, uh, like a homebrew campaign, fifth edition again. Uh, it's called Chilvers, and it's, it's basically just, a, just your, your, your common vampire mythology and things with a bit of a twist on it. So we've been doing that for a long time. Uh, and then with the Hatchlings, unfortunately, there was a long break because of COVID, playing in person, obviously. Um, I tried to do it over the internet, but there's a lot of complications with gaming with uh, young people and the sort of like rules around that and the recordings you have to make and everything and the permissions and, and you know, like the, the police checks. So it's, there's, there's a lot of hurdles to go over with that. So we've kind of put a break on that for a while. And I've been playtesting Inspirals for a long time. So how long has it been since you've been able to play in person with them? About six months. Yeah, six to seven months. So quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, that is a while. It's disappointing because we were really established and we had 12 members before we had to break. And I really wanted them, I really wanted them to like playtest it every week. You know, because part of the reason for developing Inspirals was that they would have a hand in kind of the development process and the playtesting process and their own input into it, you know. So uh, it was kind of a big, a big bummer, really. Yeah, I can imagine. It's been a hard time. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about... Yeah, that transition that you mentioned that you started working with the community center and then they wanted it to be something a little more established. So what was that process like? Yeah, so we, we, we established it um, quite early on and, and we got quite a lot of interest straight out of the gates, um, probably about eight members. And luckily the teens, they all went to the same school and they kind of were all interested in playing D&D. Um, so it was very easy because 
when you play with a group that's familiar with each other, it's, it's actually easier anyway. You're not going to have any people on the outside then. They know each other's like personalities and, you know, they're, they're sort of um, the things they kind of uh, strive for within the game. Because we had some kids that were like really into the combat side of things. One kids are something into more of the mystery. Other kids that are more into exploration and, and, and the sort of like acting out the characters. But they all worked really well as a team. So it made my life very easy. But th- some of the things I did notice was that we were playing through um, Dr- Dragon Heist, you know, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Mm-hmm. And some of the kids found it uh, quite, some of the themes quite difficult to relate to, I think. You know, there's no point where I was talking down to them or that we were, I was kind of like shying away from certain scenarios within the module. But um, they found it some of, some of the themes quite difficult and it, it kind of got me thinking about um, if I could develop something a bit more team-friendly, I guess. Maybe with a, light, uh, a more walls-light sort of like uh, system. And that's essentially how um, Inspirals, kind of the seed of it, came about. So, yeah, I started work on that uh, as we were playing every week. I was doing that every evening, basically, and starting to put this, this sort of like the, the lore down, the sort of setting, the, uh, some of the themes are built around the theme of belief and disbelief, like a kind of a Peter Pan idea. Then I, I, um, my day job is working with uh, the deaf community. So I work for a, a deaf charity for over a decade now, about 12 years. And I woke up one morning and I thought... <sighs> wouldn't it be amazing if I could combine the two sort of areas of my life and just have a, a role-playing game that uh, promoted sign language and deaf awareness? And that's what I worked on. That's what I brought into it. That is so cool. And I'm really excited to learn all about this. Um, so what can you tell us about Inspirals? So... It's predominantly made for teenagers, but obviously adults would enjoy it at all. It's, you know, young adults, adults, anyone like that. It's 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 got it's got a fairly robust um, role playing system behind it. It is rules light, and it's easy to create questing days, which are versions of of D and D adventures. Uh, so, from the Grail Guide's point of view, which is the DM in our game, it based based on like archetypal template, uh, and it's very simple to create quick and easy adventures for the for the pen dragons, which are the players in the game. You basically uh, use sign language at different levels to uh, represent the spells in the game and spell casting. Yeah, you go from all the way from learning the alphabet. It, it, this is in American Sign Language and British Sign Language, uh, which will both release with the same book at print and at launch. And um, you start with the alphabet and you move all the way up to like a lexicon, which is like words specific to the world. So things like uh, world tree and uh, friends and pen dragons and worms, all these words are like quite advanced. So you'd learn them at the end of your essentially like a campaign session. So the theory is that you would go through a whole campaign within the game and by the end of it, you would have learned to the highest level of the sign language elements. But it is just an introduction to the, to the language and to deaf awareness. So what methodology are you using to teach the sign language through this gaming book? Typically, you'd have like a dungeon master that knows the rules. So do you have someone that would need to know sign language or can it, a group of people that don't know sign, any sign language at all go in and play this? Yeah, the idea is that you, you can come to it completely fresh. 
So, for instance, I've been uh, playtesting and running uh, games on even on on, on actual streams using ASL. <laughs> I've got absolutely <laughs> no experience with it whatsoever, but you can totally do that. You know, it's it's meant to be like a collaborative learning process. So, like the Grail Guide and all the players would learn at the same time. Uh, you'd introduce yourself to each other. So, at level one, you'd have the alphabet and a greeting sheet. So, it'd be things like hello, goodbye, sorry, repeat um morning afternoon evening all these things so so when they come to the table or when they come to the screens depending on what situation we're in you would do all these sort of greetings but in sign language and it's about respect for the culture and, and the language itself and then you go into the alphabet which would incorporate finger spelling and all you need for that really is a sheet you know like it's an alphabet sheet and a number sheet um and then you're away you know a to z some of the techniques are obviously explained within the game so things like uh, your hand shape, your dominant hand, your kind of signing space, all these things. And if you read through the book uh, and, and your Grail guide takes you through things, um, you should pick it up pretty quickly. Additionally, we're releasing the game with a whole video tutorial set. So it's not just the book. You'll get a, a download of all of our video tutorials uh, signed by my deaf colleagues. Uh, that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, so so if you've got any doubts about any of the sort of like the, the techniques, so to speak, or like your hand shape or the correct way to do like the alphabet, then you'd just be able to refer to the app and, and the sign language tutorials on there. That's really cool. So tell me about the development process. So from the time that you had that idea of how can I merge these two things to the point that you're almost at release. What's what? It, what all have you been up to in that time? So, it's it's quite complicated because basically, um, when the group was basically ending, well, on, on its break because of COVID, I, I like a lot of people, I had a, very, a very, quite struggles in life. I had quite quite difficult moment or time period where I kind of retreated to my hometown and my parents, and I was kind of rethinking things and. Uh, not to get too deep and philosophical, but like uh, I did reassess some stuff. Like I thought I'm, I'm a certain age now. I'll, I've hit my forties. Like this is now or never really about doing something creative. Not, not to say you can't do anything as you get older, <laughs> but uh, you know, like if I'm going to change my career or change my opportunities, it needs to be now really. So I thought I threw, throw caution to the wind and, and launched a Kickstarter and just see what happened with it. You know, I was fair away through a lot of the content in terms of written content, in terms of like the mechanics, but all the art for the Kickstarter was mine. <laughs> like I'm just a, a very average artist. So I had to kind of launch it with, on the back of these kind of slightly crude illustrations. But I thought it'll either, it'll either make the thousand pound I needed to produce the book myself, or people would latch onto it and go like, I actually really like the idea of this sign language and the role-playing game combination. And it would create some buzz. And thankfully, it was the latter. So when we released the Kickstarter, the word, the word spread everywhere, I think, especially through Twitter. Uh, I think something like 65% of the funding was through Twitter, my Twitter followers. Um, so that's pretty extraordinary, really, in terms of numbers. So I wanted 1,000. And as the Kickstarter continued, and it hit those stretch goals, one of the stretch goals was an American Sign Language version. As soon as that was unlocked, it just the floodgates opened. 
and it was um it, it it kept going up and up and up and i was kind of getting more and more and more shocked and i was kept saying to my wife because it was a family project originally like just just very small scale kind of like idea uh suddenly we had thirty thousand pounds that is and it was it raised like 400 percent more than what we asked for so um it was pretty extraordinary really yeah well i think there is such a huge deficit in you found mm. this need and this gap that just yeah I, it does not surprise me at all that it exploded in popularity as much mm. as it did like that's really exciting for you yeah thank you yeah yeah it, it was it was shocking it was really shocking Cause, again because i didn't my colleague and i the person that's helped me with the system design um we weren't even expecting it to raise a thousand pound and because we didn't go in with any confidence, some of the Kickstarter campaign was a little bit um, iffy, should we say. We, didn't, we had no experience with it. So like the reward scheme was all over the place and, um, you know, the stretch goals were a, bit, were a bit janky and odd. So it's like, you know, if the second and third games we release will be much easier uh, to deal with and, and much more sim- simplified. And less of a headache, but obviously I'm I'm very grateful for the money we raised because that essentially has paid for all the art, all the layout, you know, additional writers, editors, sensitivity reading, all these things that you 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 know you dream about in a project to make it as good as it can be. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. By starting with, you had an initial budget or goal of a thousand pounds. So what? What were you planning on like having be part of this project? And then how was that able to grow once you exceeded the goal by so much? Yeah, so so it would have been it would have been the same page count. It would have been 150 pages because I had like the different sections planned out in terms of writing. And I I knew I could handle the writing. Um the art would have been so minimal. It would have been, you know, like most people without a budget would put their own art in it and it would only be i don't know 20 pieces maybe over 150 pages isn't a great deal maybe a couple every chapter and that would have been it it would have been you know it would have been me my colleague on a system and then my wife was the co-writer and she still is and that would have been it it would have been a very small scale family project and um yeah that basically (laughs) would have been it um but as as the money went up and we, we unlocked stretch goals, we also unlocked the possibilities. I was very much in contact with um, quite a few, few creators I really respect. Like Josh is our is our did our cover art, which which partly sold the game, I believe. You know, um, well, a great deal to be honest. He's he's a stunning artist. He does not art, Celtic not art, Norse not art, and I really wanted Anna on board, who's who's a layout specialist. Um, because it's something I can't deal with. I can't handle myself. You know, I can I can do sort of like watercolor illustrations. I can I'm a competent writer, but I I've, I have no experience with um, InDesign or anything like that, or or any of these design packages. So um, that was my first desire to get her on board, and um, and then I started. You know, I could I could afford to hire quite a few different people that I, I really respected. Like um, Ashley's doing these sign language sheets, and just to go into that, that's the main thing that um, that changed from the original premise and the budget to the higher, the higher sort of um, 
level is um, that originally we would have had the sign language system, but we would have linked to the material on, a, on, a, on an external site. So say, originally we would have gone, oh, we would have used an alphabet sheet from the British uh, Sign Language Association, say, which would have been very disappointing, but like, that's all we could have afforded. But now that we've got Ashley on board, she's actually creating a bespoke sign language material for the game with, with the images of the teenagers that are through the whole game doing the signs and like different hand shapes with um, the diversity, for instance. Like most sign language sheets don't have any diversity in them whatsoever, just like blank, kind of um, bland, uh, not representative at all. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that changed and it's a lot of quality of life uh, changes as well. But essentially, it's the same the same product from the beginning, but just a, a lot more clean and kind of professional. Yeah, that sounds really amazing, and like I think it's really cool that she's able to make the bespoke sheets, like you said. They sound like they're going to be gorgeous. Oh, they're they're so they're so gorgeous. They're so gorgeous. I'm so every time she sends me one, I'm just like you know uh, <laughs> almost shaking. Really, it's like. Because it's one of the main things you want. It's one of the main things that makes your game an in, an individual product. You know, I didn't I didn't feel good about like linking people to external material. It just feels like a bit of a a, a cop out or a, or like a you know it was necessary because we can't you just simply can't afford we can't afford to have the sheets made. They're very expensive, but um, I'm so glad that we have got that that money now to uh, to pour into it. And it's it's a vast amount we're putting into the game. It's, it's wonderful to see it coming coming together. Yeah, absolutely. As you've got all of that coming together, what what are kind of the last steps that are needed before you're ready to start fulfilling the pledges and kind of and what's your plan for distribution outside of just the Kickstarter orders? So initially, we've it's with layout now. It's with Anna now. She's she's she, she's putting it all together now. She's about, I think she's about halfway through now or something like that. She'll be done by the middle of May completely. And there's just a few last adjustments, for instance, just little tiny things like originally, obviously I put like go to chapter 10 for this information, but now that Anna will have the actual page count and the page numbers, she'll have to change all those things to like go to page, you know, 76 or something. But it's little adjustments like that that we need to work on before we, before we launch it. Obviously, I need all the all the sheets in from Ashley. There's a couple of pieces of art from Josh and Lucille, who are the other artists on the game, still to come through. Because essentially, what happened with the Kickstarter is that we some of the tiers, reward tiers, were like create your own monster, create your own inspired, which is one of the gods of the world, and create your own dragons, and they appear in the game. But two of the people that backed the project have never have never responded to me. <laughs> I've sent them messages on the Kickstarter. I've sent them Discord messages. I've sent them emails, personal emails, but they've never replied. So we've I've left them for as long as I could do, if that makes sense. I've left them right to the end. But now we have to do the art for them and put them in the mm. game. Otherwise, you know, we can't delay any longer, really. It's holding the whole project up. And then May 17th, the studios reopen for our sign language tutorial videos, as I described earlier. So uh, that's that's been a massive delay to the project because we couldn't get into the studio to film them, even though we booked it near months and months ago. So that'll be lovely because um, my colleagues uh, Rajni and Katie 
who are doing the British Sign Language and the American Sign Language, respectively. They're um, coming to the studio and they're really excited about it. And we've we've even hired an interpreter to come with us for the day to like direct, essentially direct them through the uh, process. So that's really exciting. So once that's done, once the videos are, are in, in the can and we've done the last adjustments, then we'll, we're ready to launch. And we'll launch, on, um, we'll launch on Itch.io, I think, after speaking to a few people that I respect and possibly drive through RPG, but that would, that would not be um, exclusive with them. So it would just be an extra place to put it, really, in some ways. So what are those videos going to look like once they're all done? Is it just going to be going over the alphabet and some words or? Yeah. So without going, without going into every single element of the, uh, of the game and the levels, um, it will, yeah, we'll cover the alphabet and the correct way to do them in both, both languages, ASL and BSL. And then um, it will go through the numbers and it'll only be one to 20 because the dice only go to 20. <laughs> and then uh we'll have greetings we'll have travel signs we'll have a system signs things like roll things like assist things like all sorts of all sorts of uh signs with that and they're, they're, they're essentially different sheets uh, and then the videos will represent them one to one you know like it'll be a complete representation of them on on a visual tutorial with obviously the words underneath it every time they do a sign um, it's not going to have any sort of flashy effects or anything like that. It will just be very professionally filmed on a good, a good grade camera, uh, very clear and very uh, succinct. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be really cool and interesting and a great help to learning the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, we went with a person that was really interested in the project, and they're thankfully doing it. They're doing it completely for free for us, so they're doing all the filming. Uh, obviously, we'll uh, we'll uh, credit them in the in the game itself, but. That's wonderful. They want to get involved in such a such a worthwhile project. So I know that you're pretty deep into this game, but you've got two more games coming up as well. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> well, as much as you're able to talk about, what do you expect those to look like? And are they going to be related to Inspire Isles? So our next game is called Feathers, and we are quite a way along with it um it's certainly past the the initial kind of uh concepts and the themes and and the mechanics as well are in place it's going to be more of a playbook style uh narrative game rather than system heavy again it's going to be even probably more simple simplified than uh Inspirals. it's going to be more about the teens and uh the role playing a bit more really it involves. It's a very similar theme. It involves like disbelief and belief again, uh, but it's set in the um, in the skies above the islands. There's like kind of uh, floating islands, I guess, above the Inspire Isles, and they're they're all sinking uh, through disbelief. And you, as a player, you've got to um, travel to these different islands and solve narratively their problems with disbelief, as you do in in our first game. That'll be kickstarting in August. And then the year after, 2022, will be uh, Under Isles, which is, um, which is a huge expansion to this game, which essentially encompasses all of the underworld of the game and all the sort of caverns and fissures and, you know, like spelunking and all these things will go on down there, uh, all these under, underworld creatures. And um, that'll have further sign language material and tutorials and maybe a slightly more advanced kind of learning process to it. 
Are the two of them going to be traditional expansions and that you have to have the first game in order for these to make sense? Or will they be more standalone? No, they'll both be standalone, essentially. Feather's 100% standalone. It will have elements, it'll have related, it'll be related to the first game, but only thematically, I guess you could say. Whereas Underrails is a bit more of a kind of um, expansion to this game. So yeah, you might have to, um, it would be handy to pick up the original game, basically. Got it. Since you're going to be kickstarting Feather soon, what are some lessons you feel you've learned from this last Kickstarter that you plan into bringing into the next one? Um, uh, just the, just the simplicity of it. Uh, I think, again, like I, I could describe earlier, it was just naivety. It was just like uh, not expecting anything. Um, so therefore, I, I felt the need to kind of um, draw people in, but but overly so. If that makes sense, like make the re- too, there was too many rewards for a start. Um, not necessarily like that it was worth more from what I was from what I was offering, but I meant it was too, it was too convoluted. There was things like certificates that people got for backing me, uh, and now that's a logistical nightmare because then I've got to send four hundred like personalized certificates to people because because I only expected like 30 backers so there's, there was 700 so um so it's things like that that you you can't account for if you if you're new to it so this time I'll I'll take the lessons from other kickstarts and I'll be like you know a reward will be you know just a, an or unlock a, an extra sort of like artist or something or or someone doing an extra adventure for the, for the game you know not not these not these massive logistical things and also also, when we do feathers, we will release both languages from the outset, as opposed to like through a stretch goal, because um, that was a problem as well. So we'll have ASL and BSL from the very, very, very beginning. Is most of your team based close to where you are? No, half, half I would say, because <laughs> half of the people I know are on the team. So look, my, my wife, like I said, is is a, is a massive contributor to Inspirals. So she's a uh, the co-writer and she's also doing these wonderful um voiceover tracks for it so in the game there's a character called uh, scriv the bard who's essentially the game's narrator and even all the systems are, are part kind of narrated and part system so it kind of fluctuates between the two all the time um, so you'll get a bit of flavor text and dialogue and then you'll get a bit of um of, of how it affects the system and Catherine, my wife is doing the um the voiceover for this character so during the session, you could essentially play these these tracks to introduce your players to the world. And then we've got I've got a, a system designer who, who's my best friend from childhood. He's my system uh, consultant essentially. Then I've got Josh who lives just South Wales, who's like my principal artist. And then all the deaf people in the in the, the BSL side, my my colleagues, they're all from obviously from the charity I work for. So I've kind of hired them internally from there. <laughs> I've poached them to do the material and and the and the, the tutorials, but uh, they're they're you know they're wonderful people and they they they've really wanted to get involved in it and support me as well. You know, uh, the rest are from Europe and and the US. Okay, yeah, I was kind of curious about how you were getting the ASL since you're not as familiar with it. So, obviously, with the stretch girl, we had a uh, consultant in place in the US. That fell through after, thankfully, after they contributed a lot of the uh, information to us. And then we had to rehire 
a person called Moonlight, who I met through the Discord, who's an interpreter and wanted to get involved in the TTRPG community and development. They've uh, finished off essentially the, the ASL elements for us in terms of consultancy, in terms of like the tutorials and the content there. And then my colleague is a is fluent. My deaf colleague is from from the US, so um, they're fluent in ASL. So, so that's really a real advantage and lucky. In terms of the UK side, we've got uh, Rajni, who's our, our consultant here, and John Mancini, who's quite a prominent sign language tutor. So we we've covered all the bases really, and the rest is about is down to me to integrate it within the within the actual narrative of the game. I was talking to my friend or my co- my colleague in the industry earlier, and um, I was saying anyone could take get or a concept say like sign language and just plonk it in the middle of a, a role playing game. They could just say like this is the world. We're going to do traditional role playing elements here, and then plonk the uh you know like drop the uh, sign language system in the middle of it and then just finish the book off on the on the, the last third but really it's not as simple as that you have to I, I i from the very beginning i wanted it to be completely integrated within the system so one of the characters in the game again teaches you the sign language and takes you through all the steps narratively and and it's it's obviously linked to uh one of the sort of like themes of the game which is shaping which is our version of sign language which is controlling the elements. So I've linked the elements with sign language. So you, you sign, you use the sign for fire or earth, and you cast spells with those elements. Earlier, you said you're probably going to release it on itch.io. Is that correct? Yeah, it was originally going to be on Drive Through RPG, but um, I don't know. I, I think I feel I feel like I, I feel like I want to go to itch.io. Yeah, and um, going towards the uh, the more indie scene there. A couple of again, a couple of designers I really respect. I've spoken to them, and they said that they prefer the the kind of the uh, the systems there on that on that website. Really, in terms of how you can present the page and create bundles on there and things like that, it's got really like intuitive kind of systems within it. Um, it really appeals to me the idea of that because I, I really like designing websites, and and I quite enjoyed the Kickstarter page, you know, and things like that. And I think I could get really get my teeth into the itchio site. <laughs> yeah i've heard it's definitely a lot more user-friendly yeah and I, that really appeals to me especially if i've got young people going to it as well yeah it'd be really good for that yeah do you have plans to have any of these available in a print format or just a digital download i think initially after the kickstarter fulfilled because obviously there's quite a few physical books there so we're gonna do a print run there um, I think we're going to approach a couple of publishers, I think. I think we're going to approach one in the UK and one in the US and, and just hopefully collaborate with them and get them to do the, uh, the you know, the uh, reduction on the prints. Yeah, I mean, that's the intention, really. I think I think if, if you can go with the publisher, I think it's the best thing to do. Right. But that would probably still be a little ways down the road. Yeah, a little bit ways down the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but um, it will happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a really cool product to have in a physical format. It would be lovely. Yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of work going into the visual elements of it, so um, we've really got to make the most of that. Really, plus, you know, I, I will order beyond the print, but the first print one, I will order quite a few copies for conventions. I'm intending to go to, to visit quite a few conventions, at least towards the end of the year, and, and definitely next year, and you know, sell some copies there as well and spread the word locally and around the UK. 
Yes, that would be really cool. Yeah. Do you think you'd ever come to any U.S. conventions in future years? It depends how successful it is. I mean, if it, <laughs> if it, <laughs> I mean, if it, if it, it makes, if it does well, then obviously, you know, the tickets are quite an easy, uh, it's quite an easy route to there. But um, or if it gets picked up by a big publisher, then they might they might pay for me to come over and run some sessions. But um, like I said, I'm not an expert in ASL for a start, so I'm not sure how pro- productive I would be. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think it'd be pretty cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to come over at some point. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear a little more about the playtesting process. I realized that a lot of that was hampered by COVID and not being able to have people in person as much. But honestly, I feel like that gives it kind of more of an interesting challenge, though. So how have you navigated playtesting for a game that incorporates so much sign language and physicality? Well, it's, it's definitely been hampered dramatically, like from what it would have been. But I've managed to wrangle out quite a few uh, sessions through Discord, quite a few sessions locally with my you know, friends and, and other people that have never played role-playing games before, which is the best tester, really. I want this game to be um, an inter- a beginner's uh, gateway game, really, in some ways. They can just like dive straight into it and understand the systems from from the start of the book, and it seems to be working so far. The system's simple enough to work uh, and understand from a young teenager's point of view. I feel we have said that the Grail Guide probably should be taken for the most experienced role player or an adult, if possible. But again, a confident young teenager would be able to run it. It's gone really well. I just it makes me, it upsets me a little bit that I couldn't get the hatchlings involved as much as I wanted to. You know, even towards the end of last month when I was gonna I was gonna start sessions up again, uh, the community center's still not open to the creative workshops and things. So it's really irritating. I can't get even my space open again. I understand why that is, and some of the parents would feel like it was a little bit of a uh, a stretch to get them involved anyway. But it is very disappointing. So the playtesting's been not so much with my target audience, you know, my original target audience, mainly just role-play enthusiasts that are quite experienced with role-playing. So it's not a really a brilliant test in terms of it for, for a beginner's game. But I'm confident that it's written cleanly enough and I've, got a lot of, I've had a lot of eyes on it and I feel quite confident that it'll be, it'll be a fun system and, and quite easy, user-friendly. You, need, you have to playtest the game like, extensively, obviously, because... We had one situation. It's interesting because we we've got a sensitivity Beth got a sensitivity reader on the game, Beth Kirkman, and um, through playtesting we picked up a few things that were that, that could have been issues, you know, in terms of like triggering people even. And it was no, there's nothing to deli- you never never do it as a design. You never do anything deliberately, but it's just some things that, that are brought up that that are communicated weirdly or, or strangely, and people don't understand it, and it makes them feel a bit kind of uh, triggered by certain things. So. Um, if you don't if you don't play test stuff and you don't get eyes on it, then you're not going to pick these things up and you're going to release a kind of a troubling product in some ways. You could be. Not so much with our game, but like especially with horror horror themed games, that definitely happens a lot. That deal with a lot of psychological role playing. Yeah. Our group started using a consent form at the beginning of every new longer campaign where everyone fills yeah. it out and says what kinds of things they're comfortable with, what needs to happen off screen or just not happen at all. Yeah, we've got we've got consent. We've got quite a few safety tools in place. Uh, again, looking at other role playing games for inspiration, we've got we've got a consent uh, questionnaire. We've got a um, 
an X carb type mechanic, which is like a like a grail that's been that's been illustrated for us, which we have at the table, and we've got this uh, mechanic for uh, if someone wants to leave the the session or the group, where they can do it very like smoothly and unobtrusively, you know. That's really great. You know, especially with your target audience of younger high schoolers or teenagers, I feel like it's really empowering to give them the tools so early on. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like the, the consent question has got things in it like, is there any, is there any creature that's, that scares you or, or, like, or triggers you or makes you phobic, you know? I think it's quite important because like, I spoke to a few people and they were like, uh, I, I literally cannot stand spiders. I can't have them in any game I play. But if I didn't, if you don't do a quick consent questionnaire and you do you do a module or an adventure with 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 that features spiders, then they're not going to be able to play it. That's so awesome! Gosh, you know, I was already really excited for your game, but the more that we've talked about it, I'm just <laughs> I'm like feeling so impatient. Like I want it, which is good. You know, no yeah. pressure though. <laughs> it's, just, it's very close now. It's very close now. It's exciting. One question that I like to ask everybody that comes on is through the whole process of starting Hatchlings and then deciding to make these games and then the process of starting the Kickstarter and now fulfilling the Kickstarter, what would you say has been the most challenging part? Um, I think with this and with everything, like uh, in terms of my creative life, I think it's honestly finishing stuff. I think that's always the most challenging thing. I, 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 you know, I tried to be a novelist before and I can never quite finish things. I can never quite finish the books. And I know some people that have a problem with that. Some, some people work in a way that's like they get a whole draft written out of a project or a book and then they just go redraft it, redraft it. And they've, they've already fi- essentially finished it after the first draft because they've got from the beginning of the story right to the end. They've got a finale and everything. But I just don't work that way. So I, I just, I tend to edit as I go along. I tend to like do, like with the role playing games, I tend to go through it like systematically. So I go straight from the beginning. If I haven't got the middle done to a good standard, I can't go past it. So um, that's always the most challenging thing for me is, is finishing something to it completely and like being happy with it, <laughs> being like letting it go and going, right, it's with the layout artist now. I'm going to a few more tweaks and that, that's the best I could possibly do putting my heart and soul into it. it's all my effort every evening driving people mad with questions and like queries but essentially the feeling of finishing something is nothing quite like it you know it's, it's, it's such a such a buzz getting something done and getting something out there and it's it's something that, that people struggle with a lot of people say they can do something or they they want to do something but they can never really quite reach that finishing line Oh, especially with a massive project like this story, I can definitely get how that would be a challenge. Exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, you think the things I thought would be more of a challenge haven't been like, for instance, like being a team team manager or being like a team leader and like, you know, organizing with people. I've never done that in life. I've never been like a manager of a service or anything. I thought that would be the most challenging thing, but it, it worked out quite well. It's, I just treat people like I treat my people I respect, you know, like even my friends, really, in some ways. I mean, I'm not, all cl- I'm not close friends with the whole team, but like I just treat them with respect and kind of like I really admire their work. And, you know, I'm quite, I'm not strict when it comes to deadlines, as long as they get it done, as long as they, you know, they give me updates regularly. I'm quite happy with that. So, so 
the thing that's the, that I thought would be most challenging hasn't turned out to be that way. It's just finishing something. It's just making sure that you're, you're, you're happy with it and you're willing to let it go then. What techniques did you find or use during this time to help motivate yourself to just finish? In all honesty, Twitter helps a lot. I mean, but the community there is unbelievably supportive. Like, I know people have terrible experiences with with, with Twitter and, and social media, but I have had nothing but positive positivity from people, the community there. Nothing. And especially since I, I established the Discord server as well. Uh, that, that was really, really super supportive. And the people are so enthusiastic about it. Um, we're, we're currently setting up a um, an anthology project as part of Inspirals post-launch, which will be like a set of 10 questing days in an anthology written by Discord members, which I'm super excited about because there's so many talented people on there really want to get involved in the industry and get, get their writing published that I get, there's an opportunity there to do it now through the project. It's just people and other other designers, other developers. I mean, I feel like I've got a little family built up now. I feel like I've got these, co- I can just keep contacting these people, like the Will Dravir team and like Nemo from like uh, Zin Must Die and all these other designers, even even Jay, you know, Jay Dragon from uh, Wonder Home and stuff. I can I can just contact them and say like, uh, what do I do here? Or, or like, how are you doing? Or, you know, it's just love. It's a lovely community, lovely community. You know, and things like this, like interviews like this, you know, like it just keeps me motivated. It keeps me like, oh, you know, there is someone someone else is interested in it, in talking to me. <laughs> like it must be, it must be, it must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I really do love the community as well that we've just discovered over the yeah, last year or so. It's so cool. So this may kind of tie into the next question that I like to follow up with. But what would you say has been the most rewarding part of all of this? Well, the most rewarding, th- well, I mean, again, fit that, that sense of accomplishment of finishing something to a good standard and, you know, like putting all, all that uh, education, all that kind of like learning into practice after, you know, quite a long time of um, just sitting on a kind of deg- a few degrees and stuff not really doing anything with them uh, and feeling like you're, you've, you know, you've put your, your talents and your skills to use, you know, it's really, really satisfying. Beyond that, if you, if someone manages to illustrate and, um, and write what's in your head, your imagination, there's nothing quite like that. There's nothing quite like receiving that feedback. So if you get like a, an illustration from Josh or Lucille in your inbox, and it's almost exactly as you pictured it for the game. I don't think there's anything quite like that feeling. Like someone's almost like tapped into your kind of like psyche or your kind of deep, deep rooted imagination. So yeah, there's, it's just it's just, it's an extraordinary feeling uh, of having uh, your kind of concepts and ideas brought into life. Yes, that is really special. Well, as we start to wind down, I know that we talked about it a little bit, but just one more time or for clarity's sake, for those who missed out on the Kickstarter, what would be a time frame where they could start looking to get this game for themselves? It's going to be in June. We, we were hoping the beginning, the first half of June, the PDF will be on Itch.io and, um, and we'll have... That will come with the tutorials, the video tutorials to download as well. 
uh, free, obviously. And then we'll have, um, we'll possibly have, like we talked about earlier, I'll possibly have the physical books on our, our website, www.hatchlingsdm.com. So um, we might go straight into the physical copies from there. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at publishers to, to produce them. But um, certainly the PDF will be ready in June. Perfect. Well, Rich, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you? Mainly on Twitter, at HatchlingDM. You can visit my website, as I've just described. We've got a page for Inspirals on Facebook. You can search for that. And Hatchlings Games is also on Facebook as a group. Uh, you can join that if you're interested in all-ages TTRPG games and, um, and tutorials. We've got a Discord server. You can find that on my Twitter page. That's about it, really. Okay. I will definitely get all of those links in the show notes. But seriously, thank you. This was really cool to get to learn about your projects, what you've got going on now, what's coming up next. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's a really, really exciting time. Um, I'm glad I I'm glad you had the uh, mini meltdown and <laughs> chose to launch the Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> You know, some of the greatest things come from a mini meltdown. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, they say, like, from your lowest point, you often rise up, don't you? So, um... Yeah, you know, the one thing about the last year or so is that we've had some pretty cool projects come out of it. <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah, it's, it's completely blossoming, the TTRPG community. Uh, one good thing that's come out of it. Yeah, exactly, it's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help a newer podcast get up off the ground. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at LightheartADV for our business account or at Ketra WCR to see me tweet about other things like my dog and World of Work. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Role Play Grow. <laughs>